Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where we've used every single letter of the alphabet, and now you can care about whatever you want to. Oh, you do not know how excited we are about this. Coming up with those, like, two different politics and pop culture things that both begin with the same letter of the alphabet every episode, and then keeping track of all those for the past two years has been, like, the bane of our existence. It's been a struggle. We would forget about it every single time, and then if you could just see the looks on our faces when we remembered. uh, Mm -hmm. Very, very, very bad. So this is this is very exciting for us. Um, if you're wondering who the us and the we are in this situation, <laughs> I am Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Han. And we are your hosts of this politics and pop culture podcast, where every month we come to you with a little education on things that have been happening in the world in the realms of politics and pop culture. But before we get into that, Micah, how has your July 2020 been? Um... It's been pretty good, given the state of the world. Uh Um, uh Yeah. A lot of slowly venturing into public, but not too much. I like that. Yeah. Following local health guidelines. It's interesting entering the phase where, like, there's such a disparity in between what different, like, countries, but also provinces and states can do. Absolutely. Um, But... It's it's been good. I've I've swam in a lake multiple times. And what more can you want from July, really? July in a lake. Oh, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. That's that's very nice. I have been uh, swimming in a lake of my own sweat as I have <laughs> apartments, uh, which isn't super fun. To be honest, I don't think my experience was particularly affected by summer and pandemic. Like, it actually went pretty smoothly. We use like, movers. Um, but it's just a pain packing stuff and unpacking stuff and, like, building furniture. And it's it's not my favorite, I'll say that. But now I have a very lovely new apartment in the East Village that I adore. So all's well that ends well, as mm-hmm. they say. And I will hope to be... Um, contributing many future episodes from my my new room with its very cool exposed brick wall very cool yes yes um i have also been doing some reading watching and listening in july so what if you yeah yeah and i'm sure i'm sure you have as well micah so Mm -hmm. what did you read this month um so i read a couple books this month um the first book i read um was on beauty by zadie smith um zadie smith I, does she need an introduction? She's a British, black British author who splits her time between London and New York. She teaches at NYU um, sometimes. Very famous, writes fiction and nonfiction. Armed Beauty is one of her most popular novels, I think. Um, and basically it follows one year-ish in the life of a family that lives in a college town outside of Boston called oh, Wellington. Oh, that's my jam. Mm-hmm. So yes, there's a I'll lot of New England vibes. It's, it's very interesting. Um, and I think the best part about the book is its characters mm-hmm. um, and how they kind of unfold in front of you throughout the story. And she's this amazing ability to kind of change your perception of the characters as you go through the book. Um, and But then once you've finished it, and because I finished it and John immediately started it after me, um, and he was like talking to me about the characters, you kind of, looking back on them, you realize the seeds of it. And like, this is a book about people who are awful for the most part, and you really end up hating most of the characters. Um, but seeing the journey there is really interesting. Um, the other thing I 
wanted to say about On Beauty is that it's really simultaneously feels dated, but also incredibly like of its time and relevant to right now. Um, it was written in 2005, so it has like the technology stuff of like no one really has cell phones and like right, right. The, the the son of the family works at a CD store that's um, essentially um, like Virgin Records, but right. they like don't say that. Um, and part of the story is um, this kind of the schism between conservatism and liberalism and universities and like the like nemesis of the dad in the book is this black Jamaican man who is ultra conservative and like doesn't believe in affirmative action and like has a wife who like says herself that all she wants to be is to be like a loving wife and mother and um so very like traditional and so that schism is really interesting and both feels like the precursor of where we are today but still relevant and then the other thing I thought was interesting was how it negotiates body image. Body image is something that like all the female characters in the book deal with and grapple with. And in some ways it feels like we've moved past that. There's like none of it is Zadie Smith like saying that like you have to be skinny or like supporting anorexia or anything like that. But her commentary on it is kind of maybe it's only because I've like actively immersed myself in like body positivity and like not knowing that bodies don't need to be perfect but like the there's like this whole scene where like all the women order salads and it's like and then women order salads because that's what women do because they're like they want to be skinny all the time and it like felt like hopefully we've moved past that I don't know I think it's it's one of those books that you could talk about for hours Mm, I get Um, what you mean about that though like I feel obviously those ideas still exist now but I think there is a stronger body positivity mm -hmm. movement than before and I feel like in 2005 I very distinctly remember there was a lot of different types of uh, articles and magazines and different types of like TV shows you know about things Mm -hmm. of what to wear for specific body types or like ones where they would make um, people with like different diets swap and stuff like very extreme um body focused things that mm-hmm. I think we wouldn't have nowadays. Like would the biggest loser kick off in a way that it did probably not. you know, fifteen years ago. Yeah, I, I get what mm-hmm. you mean. I feel like we have evolved not fully, but mm-hmm. from that point. Mm-hmm. I think we have more nuanced discussions than we yes. did in two thousand five. Yeah. Um yeah, so that's on beauty. The other book I wanted to mention quickly is um, Black Sunday by um, Tola Roddy Abraham. Um, and so it follows the lives of four siblings growing up in Lagos and their experiences of poverty as they lose their parents and have to navigate the world um, by themselves. And it's Nigerian literature, which I think I highly recommend anyone reading. There's like a wealth of amazing Nigerian authors and I always found Nigerian literature to be very distinct because if you didn't know, English is the primary language and the official language of Nigeria, but as English is spoken in very different ways across the world. And I think in school, especially, um, I was exposed to like only like white Anglo literature. And it's really interesting to read English from a different perspective and, but not translated. Um, I think it like adds 
another understanding to the story. There's also a lot of um, Yoruba, which is one of the like six native Nigerian languages, and it's mixed into the text really interestingly. Um, so I would definitely recommend that if you're interested in reading outside of like the Western canon, which I think we like, like I think when um, we had been striving to read more books inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement, and a lot of those books are, are from African-American authors, but um, there's so many great novels like from the African continent as well, and this is one of them. That got me thinking about books that are written by native English speakers that are not you mm-hmm. know, authors in, you know, Ireland, the UK, the US, Australia. Um, I think one of the only ones I can remember from school, and I mean, the author is Canadian, but it was um, a different experience. The Cat's Table by Michael Ondaatje, and it was about his childhood journey from Sri Lanka to England. And oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, he might have actually been. Um, he was Sri Lankan born, and is a Canadian citizen mm-hmm. now. So I think that's. I found that super interesting at the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, now that you mention it, not something that came up a lot or I'm not, you know. Yeah. That was thought about a lot when designing these curriculums. So great point. I like that. I like that. Um, I read the book, So You Want to Talk About Race by Idroma Aluo this month and loved it. Um, mm-hmm. So off the bat, it isn't just a, like a, a pithy title. It's literally a book about how to have conversations about race which we should all be doing right now and ever but you know with that being a topic of conversation right now let's have those conversations and I think many non-black people myself included are probably doing a lot of reading and watching and listening and understanding right now but still feel wary about having conversations about race so you know like a little bit unsure about what to do if a relative makes an unacceptable comment on Facebook or a colleague makes a racist joke or maybe nervous about saying certain things in case you cause offense or if you yourself are called out for doing or saying something racist, even unintentionally. And this book literally guides you through what to say in so many different situations and also shows you the importance of that and, you know, tells you a history and um so you you know like the things you're saying have meanings Mm -hmm. and they they really have effect i think another great thing about this book is that it also looks at conversations from lots of different perspectives so there's sections that are geared towards people who experience racism and um gives them tips on how to call things out you know drawing on the author's personal experience and education so i think it's valuable to lots and lots of different people and um me personally, I found it really perfect because um, I'm, you know, wanting to take the next step. I feel after the um, the Black Lives Matter movement sort of rose to the surface um, about a month or two ago now, it felt like a lot of us were in that sort of absorption period mm-hmm. and the learning period. But, you know, it, it's time to take some outward action. I think this book is a really accessible and useful read um i would definitely recommend having a copy on hand i listen to an audiobook but i think i might get a hard copy of it just so that you can you can flick through it and highlight certain areas so 
definitely recommend that. On a completely different note, <laughs> I did just purchase a copy of Midnight Sun, the Twilight retelling by Stephanie Meyer, where the book is uh, from Edward's perspective. And that update will definitely be coming to you next episode. So I hope you're ready for my many, many, many feelings about Twilight. Uh, my book club, we have been reading Twilight for the past two or three months now, are very excited about it. Um, <laughs> watching things what have you what have you watched in july mm -hmm. i've watched many movies but i'd like to talk about two of them mm -hmm. very very different movies um one is the last black man in san francisco um which came out last year and it's just like absolutely stunning and beautiful and lovely in like every way um it's about a man and his friend who reclaimed the house that he grew up in in a gentrified part of san francisco um and it's just like the music is fantastic. I would highly recommend listening to the soundtrack itself um, after you watch the movie because it's so good. It's just beautifully shot and like so evocative in like its imagery and story. Um, it's just it's just great. Um, and then the other movie I watched that I'd like to tell you about is entirely different. It's called Michael Clayton. It stars George Clooney. Um, it's from 2007. He's a he's a cool yet sad lawyer. And then my favorite part about watching movies about New York is when all of a sudden you see a shot from exactly a place you've been a thousand times. And this was shot like right outside of my boyfriend's old apartment, which is wild. And it was like it was kind of like shocking. Wait, Broom Street. Broom Street? Yes. We can beep out this matter. They don't live there want, anymore. But, um, I know. But, yeah, true, true. Guys, go stop the apartments <laughs> on Broom Street. Um, also, like, long ass street, so it's fine. Yeah. What? Are you kidding? Oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to watch that. So, so it's, cool. it's good. It's um, George Clooney plays, like, a fixer lawyer um, who's the law firm's defending, like, a big agriculture company. It, it's Monsanto. They just don't say that. Um, and then. Uh, things get dark when the head lawyer kind of like goes off the rails and decides he doesn't want to defend the case anymore. Um, Tilda Swinton's in it. She was nominated for an Oscar for her role. She plays like one of the heads of the agricultural big company. It's just kind of like in, for some reason I love like mystery, lawyery, political movies. They're like my you favorite. Really um, it was a great escape for a couple hours. So would recommend that movie that I did not know existed until it was suggested that we watch it. What have you been watching? Oh, I'm glad you got some escapism. Um, I I'm gonna I'm gonna begin my segment by saying that I will discuss I may destroy you very soon. Um, being in the U.S., I am waiting for the weekly episodes to drop on HBO, and the series is still not done yet. And I think it is so meaty and fantastic that I would just love to wait till I've seen it all before going it into an in-depth discussion. But I know on our Instagram account plug at DTCBS podcast, we had a lot of people really interested in I may destroy you and like sharing their thoughts on it. So. That is coming soon. Um, but I will discuss a series that I absolutely devoured this month. Like, I mean, <laughs> I watched the whole thing in one day. It's not that long. So that's not like, you know, unhealthy or anything, but bloody loved it. Uh, the Babysitter's Club. 
on Netflix. So this is an adaptation of Anne M. Martin's series of middle grade novels that were first published in the 1980s. And like the novels, the series follows a group of five seventh grade girls who decide to start a babysitting club in their small town of Stony Brook, Connecticut. I think one of my favorite things about it is that like true to the books, it's very pure. I think we see a lot of series like set in I mean, of all different times, you know, you could think of something like Stand By Me where the kids act very old, but um, a lot of things that are set nowadays, the, the kids just feel mm-hmm. so much older than I was when I was 13, you know? Um, and this has that vibe of like something like Stranger Things where they seem like very 80s kids that are just focused on being kids, even though the show is set nowadays and there's like the technology and that awareness. Um, But, you know, they're so cute. They have these innocent little crushes and like adorable little outfits. And um, I also think that the like the safety and like the cutesiness of Stony Brook, it is this like perfect little Connecticut town, kind of gives it like a Gilmore Girls feel, you know, one of those very comfortable shows to watch where there's always people to look out for you and like nothing bad will ever really happen. So it is like a lovely watch like that. But it's also very, I want to say 2020, but <laughs> when you say something's very 2020, that means it's like bad. What I mean is that it's very like modern in its thinking. It has this diverse cast. It shows a lot of different family makeups and dynamics. And it handles really important issues in a nuanced, sensitive, and also kid-friendly way. So definitely something that... Um, children should watch because it's it's very illuminating um an example is where we see marianne who is a shy black girl with a very overprotective father uh, learn to use her voice when she has to take one of her uh, babysitting kids who is a trans child to the hospital and speak to the doctors who were unintentionally misgendering her and that was i think a, a very complex um Mm-hmm. situation for a lot of different reasons I feel like there was a lot of elements of play there and it was just handled in a really beautiful way um so I would really really recommend the babysitter's club in terms of things you have listened to what what have been going into those <laughs> um I've been like listening that. to kind of on repeat woman in music part three which is the new Heim album oh, I've been, been so, so excited, excited for I feel this. like the whole pandemic, you've been like, um, there's a new Heim album. Mm-hmm. So this, this um, it was supposed album. to come out like right as the pandemic started, and they didn't. And they said they were gonna wait until they could tour it. But then they decided, you know what, screw it, and they brought it out like at the very end of June, I think. Um, and it's fantastic. Um, love all the songs. Love, but the steps, which is the single they come off of it, it's great. Los Angeles, great, and then don't wanna also very good the whole album is fantastic um oddly enough maybe it it feels surreal they've um just released uk tour dates for 2021 oh i've seen a lot of people doing like uk and europe dates i don't think i've seen anyone Mm -hmm. set us Um, dates though canadian touring we're right here, ready to go. Would love to go see a concert. Please, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Like, come to us. We have to go about them, guys. Uh, yeah, we are yeah. letting people with visas in. Um, yeah. So, anyways, very good album. Um, bring. I've been having. I think pandemic has been fine. Like, obviously, sucked a lot. 
and then like has gotten better. And then the last couple weeks I've just had or the couple days I've had this like immense desire to go to a concert, like deeply. Um, okay, don't say this because you'll upset me. You're sorry, gonna put me sorry. Into a sad, sad. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think it was. I did it to myself when I listened to Nobody by Mitski like twenty times in a row, um, and then just wanted to see it live. But yes, that 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 is my music update. <sighs> yes, that is Sorry that's a, that. that's a sad one. That's a sad one. I'm gonna try pivot us back to happiness and talk about the thing that I've been obsessed with this month, which is Taylor Swift's new album, Folklore. Ah, ah, ah. Um, I am gonna touch on this album in our pop culture segment, but I do want to have a proper chat about it now because you know mm-hmm. it's Taylor Swift and this is a big deal. Uh, when she released her last album, Lover, or like just before it uh, last year, we. That was our whole pop culture segment. So you can go back and listen to that if you want all of my Taylor Swift feels. But um, Folklore is Taylor Swift's eighth studio album. And it was a bit of a surprise. She normally does this sort of big promotional campaign, you know, lots of music videos and singles and Easter eggs dropped. And this one she kind of just like posted about on her Instagram and Twitter the day before. And it also has a very different sound. It's this very like stripped back Mm -hmm. indie folk kind of sound. Um, Jack Antonoff heavily involved in it, as he has been in a lot of her previous work. But um, Aaron Dessner of The National co-wrote almost all of the songs, and Bonnie Vera also has a writing credit and makes an appearance on Exile. So that should sort of give you an indication mm-hmm. of where we're going. I never thought I would see Taylor Swift in collaboration with The National and Bonnie Vera, but there we go. Like almost every Taylor Swift album, it's exceptionally long. But I do have some favorite tracks if you are just going to dip your toes in. And for me, they are The One, Seven, Invisible String, August, Betty, and The Last Great American Dynasty. Do you I, have any favorites, Micah? I, I agree you with you. I, like, I listened to it. I began to listen to it and got like five songs in. And like, it was fine. I don't understand the love for Cardigan, but that's just me. No, I well, okay. That's because Taylor Swift never picks yes. the right singles. Like the fact that she went with me oh, as the lead awful. single off Lover when we could have had Cruel Summer is mm-hmm. ridiculous. So yeah, Cardigan to me, I feel like if you want to go with a sad song, you want mm-hmm. the one or seven. I think they're mm-hmm. better sad. Songs. No, I, I really. They're like, yeah. I really like right. Last Green American Dynasty. I liked Betty. Yes. I was listening to it and I texted Yasmin and I said, This is such like an R song vibe. Um, it is, yes. Betty is like yes. old Taylor, you know, it's really it's her most yes. country that she's done in a while. And I think The Last Great American Dynasty is great because I don't think she's done a lot of songs from other people's perspectives before. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she's involved in this a little bit, but it is sort of like a storytelling of a historical person, which is very different so mm-hmm. i thought that was and cool. i'm enjoying the memes that have come yeah. out of it very good oh the last card american dynasty meme and it'll be like a picture of mm-hmm. the rose family from Shit's creek or like the cullens from twilight perfect Mwah. love it love it so this month in politics we're going to be talking about the istanbul convention and before we start, um, I want to add a little content warning and say that the Istanbul Convention is about violence against women, and so that's what the section of the podcast is going to be about. 
Um, if you pop down to the description of this podcast, I'll put a little timestamp of where the pop culture section starts, and you can just skip to that if you don't want to listen to this. I will not be offended at all. Um, the other little flag I wanted to do in front of this politics section um, was about um, gendered language, which I think we have to talk about a lot when we talk about um, what is typically branded as women's rights issues. Um, the discussion and discourse around violence against women is incredibly focused on women alone. And in part, that's because of the nature of what the violence is. And we'll talk about a little bit about that later. Um, but also it's because there's just a huge lack of data about violence against um, people who don't fit into the gender binary and how they experience violence. So I want to recognize that. And unfortunately, the like discussion and the way that all of this has been framed as like a news story and as politics has been solely about women. Um, but there's obviously, it's not just women who experience gendered violence. I want to put that up there at the front. Um, Thank you, Michael. So what is the Istanbul Convention? Um, so it's a convention of the Council of Europe and it's a convention on preventing and combating violence against women. So basically it's a legally binding document that requires all countries who sign it to protect women from violence and prosecute offenders. Um, and it defines violence in a very wide way um, that basically says that violence is anything that violates a woman's bodily autonomy. So everything from what you would consider, like normally think of when you think of domestic violence to forced abortions and forced sterilization and all of the that spectrum of violence um, that occurs to women. And they define it in such a way that it's that this violence against women is a gendered issue and that it women experience it because they are women. So it's not just random violence. It's yeah. focused for a specific reason and that's gender. Um, and so it, the document was signed in 2011 and has been effective since 2014 and has 45 signatories from across Europe. Um, it's called the Istanbul Convention because it was signed and conceived of in Istanbul in Turkey as a signatory because um, Turkey is part of Europe. Um, so why are we talking about it right now? So in the midst of the pandemic, which is something we've been seeing a lot, um, both Poland and Turkey have been threatening to pull out of the convention. And when I say we've been seeing this a lot, we've been seeing this trend of reducing women's rights during the um, uh, pandemic, which has been really interesting and awful. Um, it is what my research will be on, which is why I find this stuff interesting. Um, so basically, um, what not only is it a reduction of women's rights in like such a bizarre time, but also what we've seen is that certain COVID precautions like isolation, but also the downstream effect of COVID, like financial precarity, um, is causing an increase in domestic violence around the world um, because women have less um, avenues of escape um, and are forced to be home and can't leave dangerous situations. And we also know that financial instability leads to violence in the home. Um, this is one of as a sidebar, this is one of the many impacts of COVID on gender, and 
if you're interested, we'll link this website. Sure. It's called COVID. I think it's COVID and gender. Um, it's this amalgamation of all of the current research by um, this international team of researchers on all of the gendered impacts of COVID. It's a really interesting um, project and it kind of runs the gamut from like violence like this to um, women taking up more care roles in homes and not being able to keep up with their jobs um, because they're taking care of children. So um, the other reason why we're talking about this is you might remember at the end of July that all of these celebrities were posting these black and white photos of themselves and using the hashtag challenge accepted. And it was supposed to be like a woman's empowerment thing. And I know a lot of people, including myself, were a little bit confused as to why posting a flattering picture of yourself in black and white had anything to do with women's empowerment. Um, it turns out that this challenge was either, it's unclear if it was co-opted or just lost in translation. Um, it started in Turkey to raise awareness about the increasing levels of violence against women and Turkey's plan to pull out of the convention. Um, the reason why black and white photos were used is because when a woman was killed, the news usually would run a black and white picture. So it was women saying, here's the black and white picture of myself, I could be next. Um, and challenge accepted in that, like we pass it on and continue um, just the discussion. So. Yeah, that was not what yes. I saw at all. Um, and I, yeah, yeah, I didn't participate in that for that reason. Um, but now that I know this, I think there could be, I think there's a new, it could have Mm -hmm. a new life, I think. And I think, you know, and I think social media has proven to be a great Mm -hmm. tool of um, education and action in these times, but that obviously was not. It really reminded me of um, Blackout Tuesday. Um, Yes. Yeah. I was just about to say the same thing. But like worse in that they didn't even really know why, they were doing it. It was just empowerment generally. Um, yeah, and I did see an interesting comment very early on that they just thought that it seemed a little exclusionary <laughs> as well. Um, so that was my initial reservation with it. And now that I know that it wasn't really meeting its intended goal, I can see that mm-hmm. that would be an issue as well. So yeah, um, very kind of in the forefront or not enough at the forefront of the news, which is why I wanted to talk about it today. So the Istanbul Convention, this isn't the first time it's faced a bit of controversy. Um, Ever since the ratification started, um, so ratification is when the country accepts um, the convention and says that they will follow with it and it becomes legally binding. Um, so when this process was happening, a lot of right-wing governments and organizations were claiming that the convention had a much wider scope than it actually does. And so they argued that it endangered the family and that it promoted gay marriage and that it promoted third genders and that this meant that it wasn't um, acceptable for their country. So for example, in Bulgaria, it went to the um, constitutional court arguing that it was against the Bulgarian constitution. Um, We also saw some pushback in Slovakia as well with right-wing governments arguing that it um, shouldn't apply to their country. 
Um, so before Turkey wanted to pull out of the convention, we actually saw Poland doing um, so first. So Poland currently has this right-wing government that is very aggressively trying to fight what they call a gendered agenda. Um, so you might have seen that at the beginning of COVID, they were trying to increase restrictions on abortion and making it entirely illegal, even if your life was in danger. Um, and then, unfortunately, their current president, President Duda, um, was just re-elected um, after uh, what his critics say was an incredibly mm-hmm. homophobic and um, anti-abortion campaign um, to Poland, very much moving to the right. And we've seen that with this. So in the recent weeks, they've been arguing against the convention. Um, the justice, justice minister said that it was harmful because it required schools to teach children about gender and that it in- contains elements of an ideological nature. Um, they also argue that... Sounds like a very know, big right? argument, doesn't um, it? Like, that's, like, we, that would be like, oh, schools have to teach them about like numbers and letters like that's just so unspecific and strange um they also argue that it defines because it defines gender as a social role it undermines the family so it's all very much a like pro traditional roles and family and conservative kind of argument um and so they're currently working both to pull out but then also to get it deemed unconstitutional under the polish law um and Obviously, the Council of Europe has been very worried about this and um, doesn't want them to pull out. And the Secretary General um, said in response that announcements by government officials that Poland should withdraw from the Istanbul Convention are alarming. The Istanbul Convention is the Council of Europe's key international treaty to combat violence against women and domestic violence, and that is its sole objective. If there is any misconceptions or misunderstandings about the convention, we are ready to clarify them in a constructive dialogue. Leaving the Istanbul Convention would be highly regrettable and a major step backwards in the protection of women against violence, violence against women in Europe. Um, And so there have been some, they haven't pulled out officially yet, it's quite an intensive process to do so, but certain, I think the French government is saying that they could face some sort of financial penalty for pulling out. Um, In general, this is kind of in keeping with the trend of Poland pulling away from Europe and the European Union. So not looking so great there. Um, Turkey, we're seeing a similar situation. So as background context, um, Turkey has been seeing a rise in femicide. So femicide is femme, like women, so it's the increase of the murder of women, and it's becoming this pervasive and systematic problem, and it's only increased with COVID. So the Arab News reported that recent figures show that 155 Turkish women have been murdered in the first seven months of the year. In July, 32 women were murdered, and last year, 470 women were killed. Um, And a woman's rights advocate said that they were being hunted like birds. So it's Ugh, I feel like this is so because so much of the language about COVID is this like safe at home mm-hmm. or stay home, stay safe. And I think we all need to think that that's not the case for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely not the case for everyone. And what can be done to make that the case for everyone? Yeah. Um, especially when your homes, it's making homes unsafe and 
forcing people into unsafe homes, um, which is what we definitely see in Turkey. Um, and it's honestly very sad because Turkey was the first country to ratify the convention in 2012. It was, it's the Istanbul convention. It was created in Turkey. Um, and that's how that long ago, like to move so far from that in eight years is terrible. So that was kind of the end of the Turkish centrist government. And they've had, um, the AKP, which is president Erdogan's party has been in power. Um, for quite a while now since then. Um, and they've kind of been moving the country in a more conservative direction, much less Turkey. Part of its history has been to be very secular. Um, secularism is kind of one of the founding principles of Turkey, but er- President Erdogan is moving to much more embrace um, Islam as a defining characteristic of Turkey and using it as an excuse to push forward some of his agenda, including this kind of what some, what many would call this anti-woman agenda. Um, so there's a huge amount of information, misinformation about the convention in Turkey um, that says stuff like um, it would, men wouldn't have to go to trial to, if they were accused by a woman, they would just go straight to jail, which is untrue. Or that um, the convention leads to higher divorce rate. Um, which the convention says nothing about divorce and doesn't force anyone to divorce or that it's anti-religion. I think it's important to note that like, while a lot of the people who are against the convention are Muslims who think that it's anti-their religion, it doesn't mean that all Muslims think the same thing in any way, um, obviously. Um, and that it's this is just one group, conservative members of the religion who think that this convention that protects women is anti their religion, which the convention has no language about that at all. No. And it's interesting that we've seen similar tactics in regards to the black lives matter movement and that opponents of that making up things like, Oh, they want Paw Patrol to be canceled because the cartoon dog is a Mm -hmm. cop. No one said that. Like, mm-hmm. nobody said that. You've made that up to undermine mm-hmm. it and make it look radical and ridiculous. And that feels like a similar kind of yes. thing here. Or right? I think the what I found with Black Lives Matter is it takes the things that I think to a lot of Black Lives Matter supporters is very sensible. Um, like, we need, mm-hmm. at the very least, to retrain police, but I think more strongly and more importantly, to defund police because of the current situation. And so I found this quote horrible and hilarious Um, from, I think it was the Arab News article about this. They said that critics of the convention claim that it threatens the financial and moral integrity of families by empowering women legally, socially, and economically. Well, yes, it does empower women legally, socially, and economically, and that's a wonderful thing. yeah, that's oh, I, that's ridiculous. That's like that sounds like that uh, accidentally left wing yes. account where somebody will say that like school should be free, and then so, like a right wing person will reply and be like, "Well, shouldn't housing be free then?" And I'm like, shouldn't "Yes, that's also what we're yes. saying." Yeah, yeah, we are. So well done. You've just made a great argument. Yeah. Um, um, so that's that's really interesting, um, and kind of. There's some of those ridiculous, like Poland has kind of these ridiculous things about misunderstandings, um, which I think 
can be scoffed at, but also it's very clear that there's some opponents to the convention who are just fundamentally opposed to women having a voice mm. um, and power um, I, against men who are harming them, um, which is sad. But as we've seen with the challenge accepted social media movement, people in Turkey um, are becoming very active um, and seeing that the Turkish government wants to pull out of the convention. So on August 5th, there'll be a demonstration um, against pulling out of the convention, but also calling for the convention to be properly implemented because the country has signed in and so they should be following it fully, but um, it's very rare that men get prosecuted. And so they, the protesters want for that to actually happen. So the organizers saying the government isn't doing enough to protect women. And what's really interesting is that President Erdogan's own daughter says that the convention is really important and that should be kept. Um, And so there's clearly quite a bit of support for keeping the convention in Turkey. And it's just currently the more conservative side of the country that is against it. Um, So I think that's both... The Turkey and the Poland situation are things to keep your eyes on. I know it's like really hard with every political thing that's happening, but like no, but it's one important. The, oh yeah, um, one of the things with international conventions is they're only as strong as countries being willing to enforce them. They're legally binding in that countries, other countries, have to be willing to step up when someone doesn't and um, follow the convention. So that in some ways empowers citizens, in this case, European citizens, to tell their governments that they think that this convention is important and that it should be followed. Um, but just keeping an eye on that activism, I think, is going to be really important in the next couple months and weeks. So for the pop culture segment of the podcast, I'm going to begin with a little bit of background, and that is the last episode. We dipped our toes into mentioning the current pandemic in a way that wasn't a lot, um, and I think it went okay. So um, building on that, last time we discussed the people who make our items of pop culture that we consume and how those people have been mostly ridiculous lately. And this time I thought we would look into the art itself and how COVID has shaped it. So you know, we're a few months into the situation now, and I think we've seen a few stages of pandemic art transpire. So I thought it would be a good time to look back on these and think about how the pandemic might continue to have an influence on things like music and movies and books going forward. So to me, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna define this in a few different phases, right? The first phase to me is disruption. And this is when, you know, in like March, April, when coronavirus first became a huge freaking global deal and it disrupted a lot of things. So, um, for example, movies were very obviously affected because theaters were closed, so they could not be released. But I think something that maybe maybe a little more interesting to talk about is something like music, because it was a little bit different. Um, Albums were getting pushback and I think a lot of people were asking why you know everyone can still order a CD if they want to or probably more naturally stream things or you know buy it on iTunes but I think a Rolling Stone article explains that really well and um, I'll link it below and in the article they said that 
tens of thousands of new tracks appear on streaming services daily. To rise above the deluge, videos need to be shot months in advance, TV appearances need to be wrangled, streaming service curators courted, press opportunities locked down, tour dates and radio station visits, and record store appearances lined up. Without these components, artists risk releasing music to an uninterested, unaware, or simply overwhelmed public. And right now, almost all these profile-raising options are out of reach. So that's obviously a concern. I think probably one of the biggest ones that they touched on there is the touring. You know, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of money in streaming these days. And the primary way this article quotes that some acts, you know, 80% of their income is from touring. And if you can't tour, where's your money? So big deal that we cannot congregate like that. And there's lots of examples of both emerging and established acts doing that. I, you mentioned the Heim album that um, could not be released on schedule this this year. Mm-hmm. I think books are sort of in a similar situation. You know, you can still order books or read ebooks, and um, we've even discussed some ways that you can borrow books from your local library online. But again, it's that promotion that goes around it. It's that um, authors would normally go to bookstores or visit schools or um, you know have other things like festivals and they got completely canceled. So people had to push back their books, some indefinitely. So that to me is phase one, disruption. Chaos just happened all over March Mm -hmm. and April. Phase two to me is adaptation. And that is when people had existing things or half-finished existing things and had to find a way to still give them to the world effectively. Um, A lot of people have continued to push things back, but um, for many others, you know, they want to move on with their lives and um, (laughs) they don't want to have to scrap this completely. So there's been some compromises. So for example, movies have had to move, like many of them, to streaming when they would have been released in theaters. There are plenty of examples, but I'll use The Lovebirds because I believe we mentioned it in a previous episode. Uh, It's a romantic comedy action movie that was originally intended for theatrical release by Paramount Pictures, but the rights were then sold to Netflix, who released it in May. The King of Staten Island is another one because that became available on a lot of different platforms, but it had to be rented at a higher price than we've seen before. I think it was like 20 bucks. So, you know, we're talking like the price of, if not a little more than Mm -hmm. a movie ticket. I think the Um, logic behind that was the average price of a movie ticket in the US is $10. So it was like two people going to see it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. probably wouldn't stream something like, you know, alone that often. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Music and books have had to make their promotional events digital. So we've seen a lot of authors do Instagram live streams instead of more traditional interview formats to present their books. And I've even seen some do online book launches and, you know, festivals Mm -hmm. or other big presentation events and panels move to an online format. So that's been interesting. I mentioned Phoebe Bridger's new album, Punisher, in our last episode. And I think she's a really good one to touch on now because... She's done some super cool online promotion that I think would actually appeal to her fairly young, very online audience, even more than traditional means. You know, she's got a little creative with it, and I think that's actually served her really well. So, for example, she did an Instagram Live with uh, Paul Mezcal of Normal People, where they both talked about their respective projects, and obviously that tapped into a very specific audience of people who like to be sad in an artsy way. So, (laughs) very clever. 
Uh, part of her really fun New Yorker profile was done over FaceTime where she like showed the interviewer around LA because obviously the interviewer couldn't go there anymore. She also held a virtual tour, which I thought was really cool. We've seen a lot of performance live streams, but she sort of formalized this into a tour and live streamed mm-hmm. from different rooms in her house over, I think, four different days. So very well done, Phoebe. My hat's off to you. I think TV shows have also done some interesting things. Some were done, you know, some that were done before the pandemic and like, oh, you know, ready to go, probably benefited from this situation because everyone was at home to watch them, you know? Mm-hmm. Would we have all gotten so into Tiger King if we had anything else to do? Probably not. I mean, probably. Like, it was still wacky. But, like, and that was, like, right in, I know, in terms of the U.S., there's only been, like, one month of national lockdown. And Mm -hmm. Tiger King was right into that. And it was so bizarre and escapism, you know, a form of escapism from what we have right now. So there's that. But others have had to adapt. So... You know, my beloved, The Bold Type, which I talk about a lot. They just wrapped up their most recent season. And it was actually missing the last two episodes because they didn't get to finish filming. And I think this sort of gave, you know, the season finale was a little bit strange. It was a little mm-hmm. anticlimactic. Uh, but I think they, they still did a good job. Which sort of brings me to the common thread amongst those and the other form of adaptation, which is audience adaptation. You know, we've had to get used to different things. We've had to you know, become okay with making an online movie watching experience feel special mm-hmm. or, you know, paying quite a bit for something that we're kind of used to getting for free. You know, once you sort of buy Netflix or Amazon, you don't usually think that you're going to have to pay to stream a movie, but now we're doing stuff like that. Um, we've had to get used to going to events online and that's something we probably wouldn't have considered before when we had another option. And we've had to go a little bit easier on things like the bowl type if the quality dips a little, you know. We've had to show a little compassion, a little empathy and understand that this has obviously been like a stressful time for everyone and a really disruptive time for everyone. So the fact that um, they've tried, you know, I, I think we're getting nicer about that kind of stuff. And this then brings me to my third phase. So following disruption and adaptation, I'm going to call this one growth. And this is where we're getting new things made in quarantine. And actually, I feel like this has like a few different prongs to it. But I'm going to start with a little note, which is that um, there's been like a lot of conversation about how people shouldn't feel pressure to create things during this time um, because it's so like scary and emotionally exhausting and you know you probably have other things on your plate right now you could have really life-threatening things on your plate now so um, we gotta be easy on ourselves I know some people at the beginning of the pandemic were like I'm gonna take this month at home to write a whole book and others were like you don't have to treat this as a writer's retreat it's a very dark time so you know, you can always be easy on yourself, but everybody is different. And some people have found this to be a very creative time. You know, mm-hmm. they maybe have less commitments um, or they've had time to think about what they really want to do and what they feel really compelled to make or like what the world needs right now. Um, and I think that's super interesting. So some people have made things that are directly about quarantine. I think it'll be interesting to see how they you know, last in the long term Mm -hmm. because they're about such a specific period of time. 
But uh, Nicholas Braun, aka Cousin Greg from Succession, who <laughs> I adore, just released a song called Antibodies. Do you have them? That is <laughs> very funny. It's this like ridiculous early 2000s pop punk style song uh, that's about trying to hook up during a pandemic and it's sort of like a bit of a public safety announcement um it's really silly and funny and i would definitely recommend giving that a little stream my beloved blossoms who i mentioned frequently they have actually been covering songs during this time but they've been doing it all in different houses so like one of them will be in one house playing not the drums because like they might not have that in their house or it's too noisy but like playing on a little pot and pan or like ticking a clock or something to make the noise mm -hmm. and they're going to be releasing um all those tracks as an album later in the year which is cool. cool yeah and then um parks and rec made a comeback which is very exciting you know we've all we've all missed parks since it wrapped up a few years ago, ago. And they did that in the style of a Zoom meeting. So <laughs> the characters were all living in lockdown. You know, they like recognized the coronavirus was happening and it was how they were all living with it. Um, I actually thought that was really cool. And it also raised a lot of money for charity. So props on that. And I believe you were telling me this one, Micah, is mm -hmm. that uh, Grey's Anatomy are going to focus on coronavirus in their next season. Which yep makes sense because mm -hmm. it's about a hospital so you know um and i think this is one of the first things we said together is that there will definitely be a like a ton of ya that's extremely inspired mm -hmm. by coronavirus you oh, know there'll be sure. a different reason why everyone's stuck inside or there'll be a different type of viral infection but we're definitely getting some like dystopian ya out of this mm -hmm. there's other stuff that has been you know, not directly about the pandemic, but still feels very influenced. Um, I would say Taylor Swift's new album, Folklore. Mm -hmm. I think she's had to adapt, like, number one, her promotional style. I think it would have looked pretty, like, ignorant and sensitive to go all out with, like, promotion right now. So she didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And then also, like, the, the style of the music itself. It's not this, um, you know, reputation that was this very almost angry album about things in her personal life i think people would have thought that was a bit mm -hmm. trivial a thing to focus on right now or it's not lover which was very sweet and sugary it's this kind of quiet indoorsy album that mm -hmm. i think feels quite comforting right now yeah i think you have to mention charlie xcx's album though which, oh like, you're right yeah. okay yeah yeah okay tell us about it um so that she had written an album earlier and then it some of it got leaked and so she just scrapped the whole thing and then in quarantine she started writing a new album and like doing instagram lives and stuff and getting people to comment on the songs and be like what do you like what do you not like um and then she like really wrote made released the whole thing um in june i guess um and it's, it's great, especially, like, there's some songs that are, like, nothing to do with quarantine, and there's others called anthems that's, like, just about how much she misses New York and her friends, um, which, like, I felt very deeply. Um, yeah, there's other songs about, like, her relationship and how in some ways it was saved by quarantine, and, like, it's just... That's, a, like, an interesting one. It feels like it's sort of fallen between, like, both of the, the first and the, like, the first two sort of ways in that mm -hmm. you know it's sort of a lot of it's directly about 
the pandemic, but it still it feels like maybe it was shaped in a more evergreen way. And it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see if she like continues those kinds of processes going forward. Mm-hmm. She's a she's a super cool artist and would highly mm-hmm. recommend listening to the album if you haven't. Yeah, I kind of want to follow her on Instagram now and see what mm-hmm. those like the, the commenting and like the the live feedback mm-hmm. aspect of it is. That's that's interesting. Um, but I've also found that there's a lot of like new things that have cropped up during quarantine that maybe are not like related to it, but I don't think would have come around otherwise. So an example is newsletters. I feel like there's way more of these cropping up lately mm-hmm. and I really like them. I think they feel very appropriate for this time because, you know, the creators probably have a little bit more time on their hands to write them. And I think readers have more time to dive into something long form on a regular basis. Also, like with the news being so scary lately, I think it's nice for people to get something they actually want directly into their inboxes so you don't have to see anything you don't want to while Mm -hmm. looking for an article. You know, we've all been reading something lovely and then seeing like a sidebar that tells you how, you know, many people died that day. And it's, you know, sometimes that's not a good thing for you to know at that moment. Um, I also like the subscription models that many newsletters do right now because it means less advertisements and people or like, you know, uh, branded content because I think people are feeling a little less like purchasey right now and it feels good to be able to just like directly support someone making good art, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, also podcasts. I think more of these have like definitely come about lately. I've just started listening to one called Not Without My Sister that – I really don't think would have happened without the pandemic. It's started by two Irish sisters who in their thirties, who became quarantined together in the American Midwest. Oh boy. So, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting concept there. And then um, there's actually a few others that I have just started listening to that people have been doing like from different, from a distance. So, mm-hmm. you know, from different countries. And I think they probably wouldn't have considered that before, you know, maybe people were like, Oh, if we're doing a podcast together, we must be in the same place. And now that people have realized that you don't have to do that, they've started thinking outside the box a little bit. Um, And in that kind of like compassion and empathy from audiences that I mentioned previously, I think people are being a little more lenient on the quality. (laughs) So I've definitely listened to some new podcasts that like maybe don't have the best sound quality, but the content is interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm glad that those people just like felt safe enough to, release something right now without waiting for it to be perfect you know mm-hmm. um do you have any personal like quarantine projects or have you heard of your friends or anyone else sort of coming up with something new that could be you know a, a pop cultural shaping thing hmm i'm not sure i i wish i had quarantine projects i think i'm in the camp of um like kindness to yourself is the mm-hmm. best um thing and i like i'm not a fan of loading on more projects my quarantine projects have been like read more which i've been like well, you've done some like you've done like the the cross stitching oh, and true. stuff like that quarantine yeah. has been so long that um it feels so like i forgot yeah. that i did things yes i did start cross stitching in a serious way and i'm making a um wall of like embroidery hoops that have cross stitching in them um i kind of forgot i did that i was also coloring yeah. a lot See, I mean, like, maybe that that's not, like, a movie or something, but I think there's some, like, cool new things that have come about this. Um, I personally know of, like, 
two companies started by friends of friends here in New York that I will link to. Mm-hmm. One, and I hope I'm getting the name of this right, Pants to Bags, mm-hmm. where uh, bags are made from like old jeans. Very, and very stuff. cool. Yeah, I think that's a super cool idea. And, you know, maybe having a little bit more time right now led to that. I can't speak for the creator, but um, I do know it kind of came up around this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is a, a weekly ice cream delivery service mm-hmm. called uh, Sunday Service. And again, that had like, just started a few weeks ago. I believe I actually ordered ice cream on the first week that um, they did orders. But you know, I think people have started thinking outside the box. They're like, oh, I can do a delivery thing mm-hmm. rather than I must open a storefront. Mm-hmm. So some really cool things like that. And I think going forward into stage four or whatever, you know, new stage we're going into, <laughs> I hope that art will continue to be a little bit more human. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's cool that some stuff is like far and away and lofty. Like I never want David Bowie to be human. I never want Kim Kardashian to be human. She can hang out with her 14 Frisian horses. Like that's fine. She's, <laughs> you know, but I think there's some things that have had to become more human and are, have benefited from that. Um, and I think also like this sort of kindness that we've been extending towards things um, and having a bit more time for people starting up new things right now. Um, I'd like to see that go, go ahead, flourish, continue all the other words, um, because I think we can get some really cool stuff out of it. You know, I've definitely had my life enriched by things that I'm not sure would have existed uh, without this situation. So I guess we should wait and see. Alrighty then, that is us for yet another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad. Um, Micah, what will you be up to in the month uh, before everyone hears from us again? Um, I will be hanging out, doing like the that. exact same thing I was doing the month before. Aren't we all? Aren't we I all? Know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I I feel the same. Um, I am hoping to go to the beach sometime this mm, month. You should so definitely do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zipcar will be my good friend. So hoping to hoping to head to the beach. Um, wow, my one my one <laughs> thing. I'm so excited to tell you guys all about the one thing I did in a 30 day span. Um, but you know, I've got my health and my happiness. We're all good. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do want to keep up with each of our one things you can follow us um, on instagram at dtcbs podcast or you can follow our individual accounts mine is at yasmin lomax michael um, can i find you at miss clearwater can we like officially say that that's like a twilight reference now rather than a harry potter no, one? it's a I harry it's, potter reference i think it's time we switch it over one mm-hmm. of them's clearly currying more public favor right now this is true. I might. I'm thinking of switching <laughs> it to my name anyway. So <gasps> I don't know is, how complicated this is, it's going to be. This is like when I uh, change from Nick Jonas is hot at hotmail.com to uh, my current address, which is much more sensible. Grown <laughs> up. So yeah, it might happen. It, it might. It might. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we will hear you all, or you shall hear us next month. Bye. Bye.